0: and helping Sarah and I continue to devote our time to this passion. Whether you check out these companies or not, I just want to say thanks again and reiterate how grateful Sarah and I both are for all of the support over the years. I hope you enjoy the episode.
1: Hello and welcome to the Mindful Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Les Raymond, and I want to thank you for joining me today for another episode. Today, my guest is Dr. Melina Roberts. She's a naturopathic doctor and an author. She works out of Calgary, and was really looking forward to this conversation just to talk about uh, wellness in general and maybe some different strategies that might not be as well-known to help people move towards a greater state of well-being. I hope you enjoy the episode, and we'll link in the show notes to ways to reach out to Dr. Roberts if you want to learn more or get access to her book. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Mindful Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Les Raymond, and I want to thank you for joining us today for another episode. I'm really excited about our guest today. Her name is Dr. Melina Roberts. She's a licensed naturopathic doctor, the author of Building a Healthy Healthy Child, founder of the Advanced Naturopathic Medicine Center, Medical Center in Calgary. And she specializes in biological medicine and uses that to effectively treat digestive issues, chronic disease, and even cancer. Dr. Melina Roberts, please say hello to the Mindful Movement audience.
2: Hello, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
1: Yeah, me too. I, um, I'm really excited. I myself has been through a lot of health stuff issues, I guess, in my past and I felt like I hit dead ends in like, I don't know, the Western model. Yeah. And even though they're so skilled at certain things, it seems like I found that the framework that they're kind of stuck in wasn't as useful to what I was experiencing. And then over time, I learned that I wasn't alone in that. And a lot of people feel like they hit kind of a dead end and have to go to, I guess what's considered an alternative route yeah. where <laughs> I've always thought that it's more natural route and the Western model might be more alternative, but <laughs> I guess everybody looks a different way. How did you get into naturopathic medicine, Melina? And maybe you could take a moment explain what that even is for the audience
2: yeah well i i experienced it um potentially uh yeah i'm not too i don't know your whole backstory but um i also had some health issues as a child as a kid i had really bad allergies and eczema and we tried a number of different um, avenues to try to um, help with those allergies And when I was about 13, a family friend said to my parents, you know, you should try taking her to see a naturopathic doctor. And, you know, we had no idea what a naturopathic doctor was. We didn't know what they did and if they could even help me. And, but they, you know, we went in with an open mind and I went in and really um, after a short period of time, all of my allergies and my eczema completely cleared up. So I sort of thought it was magic because I didn't really understand what naturopathic medicine was. Um, and then going oh, through, how,
1: how old were you? At the time? I was 13 at the time. 13,
2: okay. Yeah. So um, so it suffered for 13 years with allergies, but oh
1: wow. So you had it your whole life up to that point. Yeah,
2: exactly. And so I, I sort of thought that that was normal and I would just have to learn to live with it. So um, it was pretty, pretty amazing to me to be able to experience that myself.
1: And how long did it take once you went down that avenue of naturopathic medicine? Like, how Um, long did it take for you to heal from that? that Yeah, and
2: I I don't, I can't remember exactly, but it felt like it was a really short period of time. So I would say just like a few months until that cleared up. And, and it was just, and it seemed like really simple stuff. It was just like, I made some changes in my diet. I had to take a few, you know, tinctures and some supplements and stuff. And, and then all of a sudden my skin was clear and, you know, I'd never seen that before. I'd never, you know, I was, I had these rashes all over my body and, um, and to just see my skin heal and clear become clear, it gave me some insight. It was like my first insight into the ability of the body to be able to heal itself. And and before that, I'd I'd really had no exposure and realized that the body had that ability.
1: So Um, what makes that approach so different that people like yourself are allowed to or are able to make such progress over such a short period of time? So,
2: and I think that that's really when it comes down to is that naturopathic medicine is looking at root causes. So we're not trying to um, just stick uh, or just treat symptoms. And I think that like, you know, especially when it comes to skin issues, a lot of people think, oh, well, let's, you got to treat it, you know, by putting a cream on it, right? You're treating externally. And Uh, when it comes to skin issues, it's typically coming from internal. you need to heal from the inside out. And, and that's what I've really come to realize as going through naturopathic college, and then um, practicing now for 16 years, is that we need to heal the body from the inside out. And, and that's the essence of naturopathic medicine is, is looking at from a different perspective and just trying to figure out you know what those underlying causes are and for me what i figured out is that most of the underlying causes of health issues comes down to gut health and if we can get the digestive tract in balance we get that microbiome so those little critters the ecosystem of bacteria and fungus that live within our gut if we can get those in balance we heal up the lining of the digestive tract we get the um, organs of detoxification working at their best, then the body. We set up this environment that allows the body to be able to heal itself. So
1: gotcha. yeah. you mentioned uh, organs of detoxification. I feel like the word detox or detoxification gets thrown around yeah. in in really weird ways without like the context of how the body actually gets rid of toxins. Um, and you see all these. I don't know, like juice cleanses and things that make these claims. Is that stuff for real? Do you think people just slap slap like the term detox on different protocols for like marketing purposes? Or like when I read about detoxification, it seems so um, mechanical. You know, when you read about it and it doesn't seem to be presented that way when you hear all these like magic solutions that are, you know, marketed towards us so regularly. Yeah, maybe you well, could explain like um, give some context of how the body detoxes and maybe the importance of that when people are going through any kind of illness and the role it plays in healing.
2: Yeah. So I think it is a really big term and it, and I agree with you, it does get tossed around. Um, and I think, yeah, a lot of the challenges with, um, a lot of those detoxes on the market is that, um, they just tend to move toxic loads from one area of the body to another without effectively moving those out. But really what it comes down to is that, um, you know, that we're, our systems are always cleaning itself up, um, uh, latching on toxins, trying to move those toxins effectively out of the body. And we constantly have to be supporting those organs of detoxification. And it's not like just like once a year, let's just do a liver cleanse and help to clean up the body. Those, those systems are constantly working. We always have to be supporting them. And what we have is we have these major organs of detoxification. We have our liver, our kidneys, our lymphatic system, our lungs. These are our, our major organs of detoxification, and they are constantly trying to clean up anything that comes into the body that shouldn't be there or even toxic loads that our body makes um, internally so sometimes um, our cells will create some debris or waste and we want uh, so what we want is our body to be able to clean up these toxic loads and then effectively Move them out of the body. So that's what these major organs of detoxification are constantly doing. So uh, you know, like uh, I, I have a an online program that does like a systematic detox. But you have to make sure that you, that you, that you support these organs in a really systematic way. Because if you don't do that, you can actually make the system worse. Uh, For example, you got to make sure that that um, that the body is actually uh, moving toxic loads out through the bowels. So, for example, if someone is constipated, then then that whole system gets backed up because we're not effectively able to move that out. And then our body will be reabsorbing toxins through that liver if we have that constipation picture. So we gotta make sure that bowels are moving effectively. Um, If they're not moving effectively, then we can't start um, trying to get that liver to start moving Moving toxic loads out because it's dumping into the colon, and then if the colon's not moving effectively, then then those bowels aren't effectively then that those uh, toxic loads won't move effectively out of the colon. So so these detox pathways are definitely um, important to be um, open and moving so that we can effectively so that every cell and every system of our body can move that toxic load out and this is important for really every disease process but um, you know one of the things that I see in my clinic a lot is cancer and um, no matter how you uh, break down uh, tumor cells Um, no matter if you use it in a conventional way or if you do it through um, like if you do it through alternative ways um, no matter what you need to make sure that those organs of detoxification are effectively moving um, that cellular debris out of the body or you can actually be increasing that toxic load in your system and I think that this is often a missing piece, even in terms of people who are doing chemo and radiation, that they're not um, supporting those detox pathways, and making sure that we can effectively move that toxic load out. Does that make, does that make sense?
1: It does. So, so the, so when people go to, like, I guess, cleanse the, cleanse the junk out of the body, the order in which you approach it matters. Otherwise, you kind of just stir things up if they're not So you want to get good at moving them out before you start, I guess, you know, squeezing more of them. So so they got somewhere to go.
2: Yeah. Like as I do it, you know, we, you kind of have to move through the system because the, the challenge, because I'll work through and um, do some detoxing or cleansing um, or drainage remedies, they kind of get these words kind of get tossed around. But what you have to do is often there's toxic loads around our cells. So it's in the called the micro environment or in the terrain. And you have to work on draining that toxic load out just at that deep um, cellular level Um, and if you're not moving those toxic loads out then it's tough for you to get the nutrients into the cells to drive those detox pathways so sometimes people are giving you a whole bunch of supplements to help drive some detox pathways you know called you know phase one and phase two detoxification pathways right? right but if you if you have toxic loads all around your cells, then we can't get those nutrients into the cells. So that might be going a little bit deep, but you know, like that's how we have to look at it. We have to look at okay, we got to clean up that area and that terrain um, before we start giving the body the nutrients to to get those um, to get into those pathways um, before we can drive some of those detox pathways so sure.
1: no so i don't mind fine. getting deep i think i think a lot of people could benefit from hearing some like basic i don't know uh liver 101 or something <laughs> to learn what actual detoxification is well like what do you why do we have such like why are so many more people now affected negatively by toxins whether they're endogenous from, from our body or from the environment do we just live in a more toxic environment is like the food and water supply. You just think um, exposed mo- has more junk in it, or yeah. I mean, has this been since the beginning of time? Or do you think this is you know, relatively recent, 100, 200 years or something where we just have to have detoxification uh, like accounted for in our lifestyle more?
2: Yeah, I I would say that, um, it's been in the last, you know, um, 100, 200 years that we have increased, um, the toxic load, um, in our environment. And we are asking a lot of our human bodies to, um, to detox a lot of these, 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 um, increase of toxic load that our bodies have to deal with. Um, everything from, um, being in our environment, being in our water, being in our food supplies—that um, um, to to everyday life. So we our systems are just um, assaulted really with um, an increase in toxic load, and it makes it so that if we want our bodies to be functioning at optimal capacity, that we have to be constantly taking care of these detox pathways.
1: So, Is there also like uh, a genetic component, like are some people just better at getting rid of toxins genetically than others, you think?
2: Yeah, for sure. So um, yeah, w- one of my uh, uh, great colleagues, uh, ben, ben Lynch, has written a book called Dirty Genes. And I think that anyone who wants to go into the genetic component of it um, should really read that book. But. In, in terms of that, there's, there's a component of us having basically dirty genes in that we have a huge amount of toxic load that's making it more challenging for our bot, or those detox pathways to work properly. And then there's also a component, there's a number of us who are born with, with genes that, that aren't as effective at moving toxic loads out. Um, yeah, and I've, I've run some of that um, genetic testing on myself and, and you know, I'm, I'm coming from a, a, a family that I have a pretty bad family history in terms of um, cancer and heart disease. And, um, and what I see in my genetic profile is that I'm a poor detoxifier. So the cleaner I can keep my terrain, um the cleaner i can keep my system then i can get the systems that do function well i can get them to work well and the ones that that aren't working as well then i need to be able to support them with the proper nutrients but the nutrients have to be able to get into those cells so i got to clean up the terrain around them so um there's a genetic component, but there's also this thing called epigenetics and epigenetics is the environment around our cells, um, will affect how those genes are expressed. So, so I think that, um, the answer is yes. And yes, you know, that, that yes, there's a genetic component, but there's also that environmental component as well.
1: Gotcha. Can you, before, I guess we move, move on, can you detail a little bit about how, like what, when people hear phase one, phase two, phase three detoxification, Mm -hmm. what that actually refers to?
2: Yeah, so yeah, there's, um, in terms of the liver, our our liver has um, specific detox pathways. So there are these pathways that um, will, um, will basically transform Uh, toxic loads into substances that the body can now easily eliminate and so it just goes through these different pathways and in terms of those pathways they need uh, certain nutrients and minerals in order to support those those pathways to help them move through to completion And, um, you know, some of them are like your bees and your different minerals, um, for like a phase one detoxification, but all of those, um, both phase one and phase two detoxification need something called glutathione. And, uh, glutathione is a major, um, antioxidant and and it's very important in terms of those detox pathways. And the challenge is, is that if we have a lot of toxic loads coming into phase one, and the glutathione gets used up with phase one, then, then we may not have enough glutathione to push you through to phase two. And if, things are kind of stuck in that that phase one then we'll have kind of a buildup of toxins because we need it to kind of move through these phases to uh, get through to completion in order for your body to effectively um, package those toxic loads and then effectively move them out of the body um, and then Phase three is one that they've really just um added in, <laughs> but but those can also be some of those uh like fat-soluble toxins that can move out through um the, the biliary uh systems through the uh bile and help to effectively move out uh uh by attaching on to bile are getting emulsified by bile and then being effectively moved out usually through the stools so so um yeah they're they're kind of more more complex biochemical processes that happen in the body but there's your phase one and then your body needs to push through to phase two and then effectively move that that toxic load out hopefully does that so, make
1: sense? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, like, what's the person supposed to do if they're, you know, they're piecing together their daily routines and they just want to maybe account for like everyday support to just give themselves a better chance to kind of manage the toxic environment and the toxic exposures that we have, so that it it doesn't lead down along to the you know to a, a chronic disease state are there um, like recommendations that you give to your clients for just kind of like ways of living to account for that? Or like, I don't yeah. know, drinking enough water or things like that.
2: Or... <laughs> yeah. So, well, I would think that, I, I think that um, sometimes, you know, we kind of get into those nitty gritty details of like phase one and phase two detoxification, but when it comes down to it, um, I think what we really need to do is, is get down to, to basics. Um, You know, the first thing I usually will discuss with my patients is trying to avoid those, um, those toxic loads that we're taking in, um, especially through our foods. And so one of the major ways that we're, we're taking toxic loads in is, through the foods that we're eating. And there's a lot of foods that we're eating that our bodies actually can't properly metabolize and break down. And what would um, be like an Yeah, example so those, of those would be what I would call major inflammatory foods. So that would be things like gluten. Um, so gluten our bodies just can't effectively break it down. So it actually is causing inflammation in our gut and can contribute to Um, like a hyperpermeability in terms of those intestines. So causing like holes into those intestines, often called hyperpermeability of that um, digestive tract, or sometimes we call it leaky gut. But a lot of people kind of try to stay away from that term. Um, So there's there's gluten. Um, The other one would be cow's dairy. So that's your like milk, yogurt, cheese, ice cream, um, staying away from those and and the, the other major inflammatory food I suggest staying away from is sugar, um, white refined sugar. And we find that in a number of areas from, you know, the traditional ones, which would be candy. But then we also will see it in things like um, salad dressing. We see it in different sauces and we'll also see it in a lot of different processed foods. So so staying away from those. And the other one that I will also add in will be industrial oils. So those will be things like um canola oil, corn oil, soy oil, um, those sunflower oil, like safflower oil.
1: Those seem to be in like every processed food when you read the ingredients of you know, if you're in a grocery store yeah. and you're not looking at uh, the produce section or the meat section, everything else seems to have, you know, one or more of those in it. I know
2: it's, it's, um, I'm actually putting together a pod, uh, a blog on that too is just some hidden areas that you tend to find those industrial oils because yeah, I find that too, that even when you're, you're thinking you're eating healthy, um, they kind of sneak in those industrial oils into um, like salad dressings and sauces and things that say that they're gluten-free um, will still have those industrial oils. But um, those industrial oils have been shown to cause a lot of inflammation in our, in our digestive tract. And one of the major problems with those industrial oils is that they are actually um, becoming part of our um, because our body doesn't actually differentiate between healthy oils and unhealthy oils and those unhealthy oils actually will become part of our cell membranes and when they're part of those cell membranes overall they're decreasing the functionality of all of the cells in our body as we continue to take in those industrial oils and so to me that that's one of the major problems with um, with those industrial oils is how they become really part of our systems and and that um, we need to be uh, removing those because As our cells turn over, our cells will actually, it'll decrease the integrity of our cell membranes. And that leads to a decrease in the integrity of our organs and our tissues and overall our human body, um, the functionality of the human body if if we have too many industrial oils coming into our system
1: so do you think there's like a direct link from these when like you deal with people come in and they don't feel well and maybe they've already been diagnosed with cancer or they have a digestive issue or some other chronic illness do you think those are generally rooted in this relationship of basically what's what's coming into the body what what we're eating do you think that's like the the biggest lever we have to pull to affect these potential de- disease processes down the road
2: yeah, I think I think that that's the biggest one that we can control is by um, removing those major inflammatory foods and replacing them with real um, real foods, so having um, having um, ideally organic foods that that aren't filled with toxins aren't causing inflammation in our gut. Um, yeah, I think that that's one of your major um, levers in terms of, uh, of making changes and improving the health of the body is removing those major inflammatory foods, because that's causing so much damage in our system. And, and that's, to me, like the gut health is what is leading to a lot of other health issues that we're seeing in our society today. So yeah, the bigger changes we can make in terms of the diet that will make the the biggest impact in terms of our overall health.
1: So you eliminate the I guess the foods that are that kind of insult the intestines because I guess that's that's the front line where um, our body will have a. A potential negative reaction i guess that will lead to stuff down the road but when i mean when you try to learn what to eat so it, yeah. it seems like there's a lot of people out there that kind of agree that yeah sugar's bad yeah inflammatory oils are bad you know dairy kind of a lot of different opinions on that but then when you try to find out what should i eat it seems like uh, there's a lot of i like ideology out there and there's not it's it doesn't seem to be born out of a very scientific process and i would assume um that there's also a lot of individuality not just between people but it, it i know that i've experienced that the sicker i was like the fewer foods I could handle, almost like the healthier you are, the more you could handle. So even the same person at different stages in their life might have a different ideal diet. Like how do you, how do you figure out, how does the average person figure out what's the right foods for them?
2: Yeah. And I I think that that's a, like, I think that um, it's, it's a challenging question because you don't want to get stuck in that, um, you know, ideology or that, um, you know, that, uh, dogma of right. diets. Right. But the thing is, is that, um, we also need to be paying attention to which I, I think a lot of people aren't doing is paying attention to how foods are actually affecting our bodies. Um, one of the major ones that I get people to start paying attention to um, is bowel movements because bowel movements will give me so much information about how their digestive tract is functioning and um, the balance of that microbiome and, um, and then how the foods that they're, they're eating are actually affecting their body. Um, So that's what I get my patients to be paying attention to, because that will give me a lot of insight into um, whether the diet that they're eating is actually good for their systems. Um, So I'm so I'm a strong believer in in eating um, lots of vegetables so green leafy vegetables um, I think are, are very important and highly have high high amounts of um mineral content and nutrient content and will also um, have the fibers in it to help feed the healthy bacteria in our gut. So um, that's a starting point. I think if people can increase the amount of vegetables in their diet, um, I also am a strong believer in having healthy fats. And I think that a lot of us don't have a lot of healthy fats in our diet. Um, um, one of my favorites is avocados. Um, in terms of having good healthy fats because those healthy fats are going to help to feed our um, feed or uh, support, um, really every cell membrane in our in our bodies is needing those healthy fats, but it also, our brains are made of fats, our whole nervous system is made of fats. Um, so we, we need good healthy fats in order to support a, a strong, healthy body. And I'm also um, a believer in eating clean um, clean meats and clean proteins, so grass-fed, grass-finished um, meats or wild meats um, or wild fishes, um, and the the cleaner the meats, I think then then we can actually um, take those in and and those can be a major building blocks in terms of our proteins. So. Um, as well as our our mineral and nutrient
1: balance. Do you ever find that when people increase the vegetable intake, that it backfires, that it doesn't serve them well?
2: Yeah. And so I think that that can happen um, when we have people who have um, really inflamed and damaged digestive tracts. Then then having raw foods can be very challenging on that digestive tract. And so often with those raw foods, um, sometimes, you know, we go through a point in time, it's not that raw foods are bad, it's just that some people can't handle them as we try to heal the gut. So as we go through that, those, and usually it's those initial stages of healing the gut, what I suggest doing is that you um, slightly cook or saute those those vegetables so that um, you still can get some nutritional value of them. You can get the fibers from them, but the cooking of them will help to break down some of those molecular bonds and makes it easier for someone to digest. And, and sometimes you're just starting with small portions. And I know this is often surprising to patients when I tell them, you know, at this point in time, I don't want you having any salads.
1: <laughs> well, I could speak yeah. that I feel like I hit a period where vegetables, as much as I like, like enjoy them and believed, you know, I definitely had deep rooted belief systems that they were good for me. Yeah. Like the the outcomes didn't reflect that. And I noticed that there were times where if I eat vegetables, like it didn't it didn't serve me well. And yeah. I didn't want to lie to myself and say, no vegetables are good. And, and I know that there's, it's interesting because over the last few years, it seems like there's a, I don't know if it's a growing population or it's just a more vocal population now where people have moved away from plant matter and have had like really positive outcomes yeah. that you can, that are not deniable. And I wonder like what, why is that like there's a whole movement now of people that really just eat animal product which if you said like three or four years ago people would say like that's crazy and you'll be dead by the end of the year but you look at these people and they seem to be doing really well (laughs) and it, it might make the average person kind of scratch their head how could they not have any vegetables or any fruits or any nuts and and thrive what do you do you have an idea of like what's going on there where There's certain populations that just really thrive on avoiding all plants completely.
2: Yeah, and um, yeah, and I I would say that yeah, if you'd asked me that um, a few a few years ago, I'd be like, oh no, that sounds like you know a highly inflammatory diet. Like that's you can't eat that high amount of protein and be healthy. And um, I've definitely. you know, decided to kind of uh, follow some of these people who are kind of leaders in in that movement, and um, and just learn from them. And I think that um, that it's it's actually um, can be a useful tool. I think in terms of um, in terms of yeah, we're talking about. I know we get stuck in dogma, but talking about that carnivore diet. Um, but if you actually listen to um, some of those leaders in it you know it's not that they're just talking about eating steaks every day what they're actually talking about is they're talking about eating clean sources so um, grass-fed and grass um, grass grass-finished meats and also eating them from um, eating them from head to tail so eating every part of them so it's not just um not just eating steak dinners every day it's eating all of those um all all of those organ meats right that are actually highly nutritious so so they are getting a lot of those nutrients that they need
1: they they can be pretty hard to get down though yeah yeah exactly (laughs) probably once a week or two i i force myself to eat liver and yeah. I have to force myself. I'm doing it like like I'm just taking one for the team almost. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm just going to get this down. I've tried to cook it so many different ways. If you're out there and you have a legit recipe that doesn't suck, I am. I would love for a listener to, to send one my way. I'm very open-minded to find, a, find ways to get these nutrients into my body and I definitely struggle with it. My family has not caught on yet. They won't eat any of that stuff. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I, I also have some of that organic, um, liver as well. And yeah, just trying to figure out a good way to eat it, um, or right. to just cut it up really small and just add <laughs> it into meals, um, in, yeah. you know, just to, to make sure you get the, that nutrient density into you. Um, but you know, there's also other ways that you can do it in terms of just having it, um, as ca- in a capsule form.
1: Um, yeah, here are, there are <laughs> some companies putting yeah, that Yeah, some up, companies you know. who are
2: doing that. So
1: yeah, I found a couple products that make it a little easier to get down. But you can't like I've done a lot of searching of like you know what are the most nutrient dense foods, and it doesn't seem to matter how a list is created. Like if it's a nutrient content per calorie, or if it's per volume. The organ meats are always at the top of list. Like you can't really deny. Yeah,
2: yeah exactly. It, it yeah. seems like if you eat them,
1: it takes the burden off the rest of your diet. Like yeah. you're, it's it's the perfect like multivitamin in food form, and you kind of get to check a lot of boxes with with one type of food. It's just uh, man, it really would be nice if they just tasted better.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I think that um, I think that yeah, what you have to realize that that is that there's a big difference between industrial meats and uh, grass-fed organic proteins, and that there's a completely different composition, that if people are, you know, kind of um, getting into like a carnivore diet, and they're doing it with just conventional meats, that it would be an inflammatory picture. But because, um, you know, a lot of those leaders in the field realize that it's more about having the composition of those, those grass fed meats. And when you're having grass fed meats, it's going to be not just um, more nutrient dense in terms of the uh, profiles of those meats and the profiles of those fats that you're getting into the body, um, as well as the mineral balance. It's also um, a way that's better for our environment. Um, So realizing that there's a huge difference in terms of the profile of those foods in terms of that industrial meats compared to the uh, grass fed organic meats um, makes a big difference in terms of um, the nutrient density of, of those foods. Um, so I think that those are the things that really need to be clarified. But um, I think that, you know, you do get it in terms of um, like Uh, bone broths and um and collagens that you're getting from those foods and um in even just the bioavailability of like the fat soluble vitamins so so i'm not completely not completely um against um heading more towards that carnivore but just understanding how to do that in the healthiest way possible
1: well you mentioned something earlier that i think is really important and um I don't think we hear enough from doctors in general where you said, I'm listening to these folks and I'm learning like to have a continual curiosity. I think some people feel a little, they get down when you go to visit a doctor and there lacks like a true curiosity to learn more, to really believe that we don't know everything just yet. And we're in this together to figure out, what the right way to go is and to be open. And I think we need just more open conversations where the dogma is kind of put aside
2: yeah, and yeah.
1: let's, you know, be as objective as possible and be willing to try things that, you know, maybe, uh, might be out of uh, our current belief system or just thought of as out of the box and, and, and being honest with, you know, what happens. And if, you know, and then making that judgment. Well, did, did this interact this intervention, this tool, as you say, did this serve or did not I I know for me personally, like playing with that game plan um, dietarily has definitely helped and I can't deny it and I usually yeah. eat vegetables, not because they make me feel yeah. good. It's because I like them. Yeah. And it's yeah. sometimes it's a social thing like they're on the table when everybody's <laughs> eating them and I like them. Yeah. But it's very common that I regret it and I don't know maybe it's the dose makes the poison and I just have to enjoy smaller servings and I haven't really played with that but actually we touched on a few things here Uh, you under your bio there you mentioned that you specialize in biological medicine so does that differ from like naturopathic medicine is that what does that term refer to
0: Yeah,
2: so it's, um, so they basically, um, you know, going through the naturopathic college, um, you know, you learn about how the body is, has the ability to be able to heal itself. But where biological medicine is a bit different is that biological medicine is really looking at uh, terrain. So it's the environment that our cells live in. And by cleaning up that internal terrain we allow those cells to be healthier so it's looking at it a little bit at a deeper level and it's realizing that the body is a a really dynamic system that it is constantly breaking down and building back up and within every cell of our body we have these regulatory systems and Um, So these regulatory systems are allowing our bodies to um, adapt to stressors and to be able to heal themselves. So these, uh, you know, the best way to describe those regulatory systems is um, if we are in a hot environment, then our body will start sweating. And if we're in that cold environment, then our bodies will shiver. So we are adapting to differences and changes in our environment and every cell in our body is doing that. So we have these self-regulatory systems and then then we have um, different stressors on the body that can affect those self-regulation systems. So those stressors, I I, I, say, I break it down into six stressors. So there's uh, food sensitivities, immune challenges, heavy metals, environmental toxins, anything emotional, and anything physical. So those can be all different stressors on the body that can affect those, that regulation of the body. And then what we have is pretty, um, I'm gonna say sophisticated, testing that looks at these of how well the body is able to regulate itself. So we use things like um, a whole body um, thermography that looks at the temperature of the body and how the body is able to regulate that temperature. and then we do something called heart rate variability. So it's assessing that autonomic nervous system and how well that autonomic nervous system can properly properly self-regulate. And then we do things like um, uh, look at, uh, it's called dark field microscopy. So we look at that body's internal environment. So we have these sophisticated ways of testing to see what does that terrain look like what does those self-regulatory systems look at and then what we're doing is we're identifying and removing those stressors and working on trying to get that self-regulation working a lot better and also trying to clean up that terrain and when we do all of these things then we actually help to get the body to be able to function at its best so and did you this, say
0: dark? dark
1: field, what, what dark was that?
2: field Oops. microscopy. So is- it's just a, we just do a prick of the fingertip. Um, we put it onto a slide, look at it, and look at those blood cells underneath the microscope. And that gives us a picture of what that, what your body's terrain is looking at, like what that body's internal environment is looking like. So whether cells are all stuck together or if they're nicely spaced out, mm-hmm we get to look at um, those cell membranes or those cell membranes perfectly round all about the same size or are they um are they different shapes and different sizes and um, are those cell membranes disrupted
1: what would um, be a, a, what would cause cells to be to look differently in that field like what would cause a cell to be different size or not round or
2: yeah so one of the things that can happen is if we have oxidative stress so a number of free radicals in our system um that would actually disrupt those cell membranes so sometimes those cell membranes instead of looking like they're perfectly round they can look like like little bottle caps um like those old time bottle caps so they um and you can imagine that if a cell membrane isn't that perfectly round state, that can be affecting um, how well we are absorbing nutrients and also getting rid of toxins. Um, In addition to also, you know, how well does that body, how well does those cells take in oxygen? So,
1: so biological um, medicine basically refers to dealing with the terrain more of looking at is an internal environment, as a as a whole
2: yeah exactly and we just set up that environment and change that environment so that the body has that capacity to be to be able to heal itself so when people are asking me you know like what what disease processes or um you know what health issues do you treat and it's not really about what i treat it's um the the approach that i use and really i can use that approach from everything from um, people coming in with um, allergies and eczema, like I did as a kid to autoimmune disease to cancer. so so we kind of um, that biological medicine approach can can help with any health issue.
1: Thank you. yeah, I share so I had you say eczema I say eczema okay um, yeah. I, I had I personally deal dealt with that quite a bit. And yeah. um, actually not totally out of the woods, but pretty, pretty close. But for a couple of years, had that really bad. And yeah, it's interesting because back when you're talking about detoxification, I think I was a um, guilty of like going in the wrong order, I guess. OK, yeah. yeah and, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, without having, I guess, drainage pathways open yeah. yeah. and starting <laughs> detoxification protocols and then it kind of backfiring and making worse, like as if I just became more toxic
2: yeah and And, sometimes uh, that can happen and people say oh well this stuff doesn't work and it's like well we we didn't do it in the right order
1: (laughs) yeah and you know probably from from what I I learned over time that the longer you've been sick like you have to kind of set your expectation too. you know some people you want to go to a doctor and you've been dealing with something for a few years and you want it to be gone like this week yeah, And you've been dealing with for a few years, it might have been brewing for a few decades prior to your symptoms. And it might, you know, you have to have a realistic approach time-wise yeah, for to sure. allow your body to heal The body doesn't need to heal, but you got to give it space and set it on a proper course. And then yeah. it does take time. And it's very easy, especially if it's not a linear progression where if it's, you know, two steps forward, one step back, a lot, you know, as you go, a lot of those one step or two step backs might make you feel that, well, this isn't working and then abandon the process um, where sometimes it's just a lot of like little wins and then all these little learning experiences along the way where, okay, that didn't work or here I'm off course. And let me get back to the basics. And, um, it's interesting. So I could definitely speak yeah. to that. And eczema is—I mean, for any of those out there that have dealt with that—it's—it does seem to be never the source of the problem. It's always the symptom yeah. of something. It's an expression of something that's underlying, um, and it can really interfere with your quality of life. I mean, if it's really bad, I remember it's tough to kind of go out. Kind of—you don't want to face anybody. I remember I had eczema pretty much from head to toe yeah and you know you don't feel real good about yourself and it makes it harder to stay optimistic when every day you're you're starting off with really an emotional thing that's going against you where you're you're not feeling good about yourself um and you know you gotta love yourself enough (laughs) to heal and sometimes it's hard to love yourself when you know you you feel like curling up in fetal position and like scratching all your skin off or something. It's, um, you could really get stuck. And I was stuck for a long time. And, uh, and I remember going through the, the, you know, the, I guess, traditional doctors, I don't know, allopathic care or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, um, I felt like whether I went to, um my primary care or the dermatologist they sent me to i even saw um a nephrologist at one point because there was a blood value that made him want to do that and they all had the same tool uh it yeah. was steroid it was yeah, one exactly. one yeah. tool yeah. and and i played with that tool for a while because i didn't know anything else and then luckily enough, i was um fortunate to be directed Towards like a functional medicine doc oh, who okay. started okay, to uh, ask they just asked different questions. It, yeah. lo- it was clear that they're working from a different framework. Yeah. Which allows them to be more open to possibilities. Yeah. And um, and they had seemed to be a larger toolkit. And there was definitely some trial and error. Like some tools didn't work. Yeah. yeah. But it was a framework that allowed for more possibilities, I found. Yeah. And and I'm really grateful that I went that way because eventually it gave me the tool set to to really help myself. Yeah. Heal. And yeah. it took time. Yeah. And like I said, I'm not totally out of the woods, but I'm probably about 90, 95% there, which feels very good. And, yeah. um, and, it made, and there was a time where I remember like, I didn't think that was ever going to happen.
0: Yeah. Like
1: you get, uh, when you're not feeling good, you could get feelings of like despair, almost like, am I even going to be alive, you know, a few years from now? And then all the stress around that, like, is this, is this me dying? Like, what is all this? And it's a, it could be a very dark place emotionally for for people. So it's great to hear that, um, you know, there are different ways to approach these things. And, uh, you know, I'm on some like Facebook groups of folks that have gone through like chronic illness and they've taken a, a much more, Kind of open-minded approach, going through yeah. either you you know referring to what their natural doctor or their functional okay. medicine doctor showed them, and with a lot of really inspiring success stories. And it's yeah. uh, it's nice that now with the technology that we're not we don't just have to hand yeah. our power to our local doctor. They, like yeah. we have access to learn from each other through the, you know these tech these techno- technological platforms, yeah. whether it's a Facebook group of people where, you know, you could hear other people's stories that yeah. sound like very similar and what work for them. And, and you could try and you have more power to like try things and yeah. see what happens where yeah. I think like my parents' generation, there wasn't any of that. And there was so much reliance on the one the one local doctor that they saw and they were the final word and which, you know, oftentimes might've been helpful, but it's almost, it's like giving away your power. And like you said, the the body knows how to heal and we have to give, no matter even if a doctor helps you, they're not healing you.
2: It's you that's doing the healing. Yeah,
1: The doctor's giving you ideas that could create space for it. And then you got to let your body do its thing that it knows how to do. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: I think so what, it's really, really important for people to realize that the body can heal itself and that they don't have to suffer unnecessarily. And, and I think so many people just suffer unnecessarily thinking that this is just how it goes. And um, this is just what they have to learn to live with. And I know I felt like that for a number of years, and I, I think that's, that's not the case. Uh, we have lots of power in terms of being able to um, take care of ourselves and, and heal our bodies.
1: Gotcha. What are some of the other like modalities other than um, playing with the nutrition, like under the biological medicine approach, what are some of the other like tools or tricks that you guys use <laughs> to, to help people get back on track?
2: um we got lots of them (laughs) so so that's that's the fun part is that um is that we got lots of tools in our toolkit um to, to approach it right so yeah so everything from um diet to um taking um, different supplements that range from botanicals to nutritionals to um, drainage remedies. And then, um, and then within my clinic, I use IVs a lot. So we will use um, uh, IVs really at different levels from um, just regular kind of Myers IVs, which are um, still high dose, but um, we move up to really high doses of vitamin C. Um, for some of my cancer patients, or some of my um, autoimmune pictures, and what does then, that usually
1: do for like when someone has cancer and they take a high dose of vitamin C? Is that something that they notice a benefit from? Yeah. Like, so moment?
2: again, it's it's a process and it can take some time. But what what the high dose vitamin C is doing is that at a at a high dose, um, it becomes a pro-oxidant. So it's no longer an op- antioxidant. It's now a pro-oxidant. And what that vitamin C does is it um, moves intracellular and it becomes hydrogen peroxide, which actually will kill off um, unhealthy cells and it'll leave healthy cells uh, stronger and intact. So... The um, body actually
1: produces hydrogen peroxide.
2: Yeah. So it naturally produces hydrogen peroxide. Yep. So... So in that
1: threshold where vitamin C goes from being an antioxidant, which from what I understand, I guess it's, it's there to eventually donate an electron to, to satisfy a, a free radical. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah.
1: That threshold where it goes from that antioxidant mechanism to pro-oxidant. Yeah. It can that be done. At an, with an oral dose, or is that, does an IV, is that required? Does somebody have to go in and sit for an hour with an IV in their arm to to make that that different, I guess, mechanism take place?
2: Yeah, I just, um, because I know that um, with, so I'm going to say yes. <laughs> so okay. um, yeah, because I, I would say that um, in terms of, you know, I've, I've seen had patients who've tried to do high doses of liposomal vitamin C. So liposomal is vitamin C that um, can easily move into the cells. Um, but I just, I don't, and I don't think, and I, I, I'm sure more people need to do some scientific research on it, but I just haven't seen them being able to get that, to a high enough level to get it to that therapeutic dose that, um, that IV vitamin C can get, can get it at. So, so I'm guilty of attempting
1: to get to that dose.
2: Yeah. And I've had patients do that, like drink basically like bottles of liposomal vitamin C Mm -hmm. to try to see if they can shift that up. But, but I just, I, I don't think we can, even with a liposomal vitamin C, um, get it up to those therapeutic doses that um, high dose vitamin C is able to do. Because with that vitamin C, what we do is, since we're going right into the um, venous system, right into that circulatory system, we're bypassing the digestive system. So, so your body doesn't have to metabolize it through the same um through the same avenues of having to absorb it through that digestive tract, filter it through the liver, and then eventually um, getting into into the cell system. So so the challenge is is that um that yeah anytime you take it orally we just can't get it up to that that high therapeutic dose that you can with um vitamin IVs. Gotcha. So yeah, vitamin IVs um we have yeah chelation IVs that we run. Um, that's for
1: well, when people for get a heavy For helping metal. to move
2: heavy metals out of the body if heavy metals are showing up as a problem. Um, we do um, local um, hypothermia. So it's using heat to break down um, t- typically uh, tumor cells or unhealthy cells at a, a deep level. So the heat goes quite deep.
1: You said um, local. Do you mean you actually heat up the tumor itself or do Yeah. You heat up so the you whole can body? actually, yeah.
2: So we can actually go, um, locally in terms of, instead of, we do also do like whole body, um, hyperthermia, which is, oh.
1: um, I've heard of that. I, from what I understand in the States here in Canada, right.
2: I'm in Canada. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So in the States, I think that that's not legal or not, not allowed. If I'm, if I'm correct on that. So you guys can do um, yeah, that. Yeah, I,
2: I think it kind of depends on you guys from state to state. So I think oh, that there's it? probably some, some states that are, are able to do it, but yeah, oh, it's, so it's just helping to heat up the body just locally. like a fever would. Yeah.
1: Gotcha. So if you're doing that locally, what do you do? Is there a tool that you're just putting? in Yeah, so right I, I
2: have a specific machine and, um, and it's basically like an electrode or kind of looks like a. Um maybe looks like a when you're at a physio, one of the heads that they would use when they do an ultrasound. Okay. Um and Is there
1: any risk that, in that? Do people can you get physically burned from it? Yeah, or? you
2: could. Um, so that's why you got to make sure that there's good communication between, um, the patient and, wow. um,
1: not a good te- time to hold secrets to And the, te- <laughs> and to the yourself. technician
2: that's doing it. Yeah. Cause you want to make sure that it, cause it does can get quite hot on the skin. Um, but you want to make sure that you're pulling that off. Um, gotcha. and, and, and you do the, burning. so
1: the, the full hyperthermia. So you heat up the whole body to basically simulate a fever. A fever,
2: yeah, exactly. So, so that triggers
1: it... just the body's own response to, I guess, an in- infection. Or yeah,
2: so well, and and um, cancer cells also don't like the heat. Oh, really? As well, so and. Yeah. So what you're doing is you're, you're you're getting the body up to a certain temperature. So basically a fever state, and and then trying to hold it there as long as 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 long as your body as long as a person is able to. But it is quite, is un- you know, it, it is this quite uncomfortable for patients? Well, what usually, are we talking
1: about? What temperature and for how long are you? Uh,
2: so we're usually aiming for like third. I'm trying to think of what that would be for you guys. We're at 38.5 degrees Celsius. So um, that's probably, I don't know, like, (laughs) I think it's like below, maybe 103, right? Because you guys are- Oh, so it's
0: up
1: there. Okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's- it's
1: So that person's laying there hot and uncomfortable. And they're
2: laying there hot. And yeah, usually we're aiming for them to hold it there for- you know, 30 minutes to 60 minutes, you know, and, um, and what we do is we stick a, um, we th- stick a thermometer rectally in and, okay. and we're actually monitoring their temperature throughout it. Um, and yeah. And, and is that something
1: to, they would do like every week for some period of time or? Yeah. It so a, it sort one of, one of depends.
2: I have, um, like I'll have patients who will come to the clinic for uh, two or three weeks, and with those patients, we're usually um, trying to get them to do it, you know, two or three times a week while while they're here. Um, for patients, and is it actually, misery
1: or are these people up for um, this? Or?
2: No, yes. Yeah, so most of the patients are are yeah. It, it get it gets pretty tough. Like at first it's like, okay, this is okay. I can handle this. And then like near the end, they're like, how much longer, how much longer? (laughs) And you're kind of giving them the time. So
1: I guess it's got to make other challenges in their life look uh, less challenging.
2: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We're usually putting Like we're giving them cold packs and putting cold packs on their, on their head or letting them like kind of stick an arm out. So that kind of sometimes helps them to cool down a little bit.
1: (laughs) So, uh, the theory definitely makes sense. I would, uh, I would love to experience that. Um, maybe I'm just a glutton for punishment or something. But, <laughs> I mean, the the idea around it seems very logical to me.
0: Yeah. Everybody's yes.
1: experienced a fever, and how that's you know part of the process of fighting something off.
2: Yeah, that's a, a natural immune reaction, and we're just kind of helping helping that process along. For gotcha. sure. We do that. Another therapy that we have in our clinic is um, the pulsed electromagnetic fields. Um, have okay. you heard of that? Have you heard of that? I therapy? have done
1: more than heard about. It. I, oh, I have okay. a, a unit in my house that oh, uses okay. that, yeah. and I've gone to uh, a clinic where I laid on a, a fancy. I think the company is Pulse Centers.
2: Yeah, so that's it's where I per- had mine from too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The,
1: yeah. I guess they make. Um, I don't know. Maybe like a top of the line. Yeah, exactly.
2: So I have like, yeah, one of the kind of like medical grade high voltage.
1: Can you take a moment and explain to the audience what uh, pulsed electromagnetic field therapy is and how that works?
2: Yeah. So um, our um, so the Earth actually has natural um, naturally occurring pulsed electromagnetic fields. Um, that we would actually get if we were more in touch with the, the earth on a more frequent basis. But you know, in our Western world, we have little, um, little connection with the earth. But the these pulsed electromagnetic fields are, are very healing to our bodies, and our bodies actually need them. And what happens over time is that like our cells have a voltage. Um, And what happens over time is that they actually lose that voltage. And um, what that pulse electromagnetic fields help to do is it helps to recharge that voltage of our cells, um, both the voltage of our cells and um, the transmembrane voltage. Um, When it's low, then that's when we will have illness and disease processes and by increasing that voltage increasing that cellular energy we actually help to um, get those cells to to have a that stronger voltage and so so we actually need a few sessions of those in order to kind of build up that voltage but the analogy i like to use is like your cell phone over time will lose its charge and what you need to do is you need to plug it in to the wall and charge up that, um, that phone and increase that voltage of the phone in order to get it to be functioning optimally. And that's what the PMF helps to do is it helps to increase that voltage in every cell of our body.
1: That's cool. Um, yeah. yeah. I could speak to that. I mean, it, it feels good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, you know, it, I've a, uh, the one I have at home is very different than the pulse centers unit that I laid on that. Um, I think the one I use now, it's, it's a much more like subtle signal. Like you don't feel it, but it's really subtle. That pulse center one, like it, I felt like, yeah, you can zap, (laughs) zap, 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 zap for like an hour straight. What was interesting is that at first, the first few minutes, it would feel kind of intense. Like, almost like you're getting electrocuted or something yeah. like at this really low level, but it became so relaxing. yeah. And yeah. you would go into this like deep state of relax, relaxation. yeah. And then I would usually doze off and it felt kind of almost like a hypnosis session. I mean, I felt like I'd get a big like theta wave dose and I'd wake up and feel great usually the yeah. rest of the day. And I remember even, you know, when I was, was going, I had this eczema all over my body.
2: Okay. Yeah.
1: The one thing that was interesting that about the eczema I had is it was so sensitive to interventions that it was a great barometer. Like if something helped, I knew within minutes. Oh, when, okay,
2: okay. And yeah, then
1: if something yeah. didn't help, I also knew within minutes. Oh, okay, so okay. it was kind of a, a gift and a curse, I guess. Yeah, But exactly. I remember I would go and lay on that PMF table and visually, my rash would be like 50% gone oh, wow. after one okay. hour. Now, That's it didn't stay. Good. So yeah. like yeah. a few hours later, it would start to creep back. But yeah. I knew that the fact that it could make it go away that amount, that time yeah. frame, showed me that there's a positive impact.
2: Yeah, and, um, exactly. It's like, it's a, you know, it's a physiological change in the body.
1: Yeah, it's just wild because nothing's really touching you
0: yeah you're not yeah. taking
1: anything you're not ingesting anything yeah. you're hearing a like a, a noise to it and there's you're feeling a zap but like i was i was i remember being amazed it was repeatable i did it i think once or twice a week for a good part of a year
2: okay oh wow okay awesome. and like every
1: time yeah. the same yeah. thing happened yeah and then you know couples a couple hours later it would start to wear off but uh it was very fascinating that you have this invisible force that yeah. would make a rash that at the time I probably already had for like a year, yeah, um, almost disappeared, and like the quality of my skin would change, like it would yeah. be smoother. Wow, that's amazing that this could do it. Yeah, and um, you know you read about it, and it like it sounds logical, and you're still like I don't really understand what's going on. Like, <laughs> okay, so we're electrical, and we're basically a battery, and I guess this is juicing yeah. up the battery. So I guess yeah, it gives exactly. you. The cellular energy to yeah. do whatever cells are supposed to do. Yeah, exactly. A bit better. Yeah. Yeah,
0: so yeah it's PM very interesting
2: because everyone everyone feels differently on it, right? Like some people, some people will, you know, um, notice that they have like increased energy that day. Some people, their pain will decrease. Some people, they say they'll sleep better. Um, and then where they feel the, that electrical pulse um, throughout their body. You know, sometimes it's in their arm, sometimes it's in their back, you know, sometimes it's in their head. So it's, it's, it's very interesting. I always ask people what their experience is because it's, it's so different from person to person.
1: Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. It'll be interesting to see over the next few years if that, uh, I think, we'll see that becoming more popular and more available one yeah. thing i remember when i looked into it it's just it's not very readily available at least where i am yeah um, yeah i mean i yeah, got lucky and there was a place and about 15 20 minutes away that okay. has one but like the next closest place was you know you, you're talking about over an hour away and oh you know, okay that's, yeah. so i think there'll be a time where there'll be a lot more locations where people can have access to these things. I think those machines are not, they're not cheap. So it's not something no, that's very not, yeah. easy to get in your house. <laughs> yeah. Um, so any other modalities that are like staples of the practice or other than the IVs and the um, hypothermia and the pma Yeah,
2: I think those, yeah, I think I, yeah, I, I walk through the, the main ones that we okay, use okay. for sure.
1: Okay. <laughs> Um, now you have a, a book, uh, building a healthy child. Is this basically the same kind of concept, the same process, just for kids? As far as like the approach to wellness, or no, so, is it something so more bit, specific?
2: Yeah, it's it's a little bit different in that. Um, so so my my dad was actually diagnosed with cancer when I was just in a naturopathic college and, um, and unfortunately passed away, like nine months later before I was able to kind of figure out how to, how to fix them. But that really led me on the research path of being able to um, figure out what was going on in terms of chronic disease. And what I realized in terms of chronic disease is that everything started in the gut. And, and then when I um, had my daughter, I wanted to figure out a way to be able to, to prevent, um, you know, um, in terms of like our family history of cancer and also looking at my childhood and saying, you know, I had like these bad allergies and eczema, how can I prevent all of this in her? And what I figured out was that if we could, if we could um, build her gut health properly right from the beginning then we can prevent a lot of these other issues and um, so basically my food it's a food introduction program for children and, or for babies and what it is is it's just introducing foods in a way that helps to build their gut health properly right from the beginning so that's okay. that's the essence of the book yeah
1: great and if you have kids out there we'll go ahead and link to that book if you want to check it out in the show notes. Uh, Melina, is there any other topics you'd like to touch on today or any anything you'd like to add? Or?
2: Um, well, I think that um, like with what's going on in the world, I think that what we also need to be um, talking about is um, understanding that there is ways for us to be able to Um, support and improve our immune system. And one of the major ways we can do that is supporting our gut health. And because 80% of our immune system is housed in our gut. And if we support proper gut health, we'll be supporting our immune systems. So I would say major things would be to remove major inflammatory foods like um, gluten, cow's dairy, sugar, Um, to like get outside and get some natural vitamin D Um, get outside and move our bodies our bodies are meant to move so let's get some um, exercise in or even just some just some movement of the body is going to help to improve our systems making sure we're drinking water our, our bodies are made of 70% water. We want to make sure that we're drinking clean sources of water. And and another way to help support that immune system is to get good sleep. Um, sleep is very important for helping to rejuvenate our systems. So so to me, like, there's, there's really um, simple, basic stuff that we could all be doing, and that would actually improve the health of our, like, like our society as a whole if we could all be doing these these simple tactics
1: yeah i feel like the message that we're exposed to so regularly through the media is, is so fear-based and yes yeah i feel like they took just half the energy that they were putting into scaring the crap out of us into yeah. telling us what to do to like improve our chances when we get exposure to whether it's viruses or any other like pathogenetic, pathogenic, uh, organism, like it just seems such better use of our time to, you know, do the thing, like get out there and do the things to get yourself in as resilient as possible. And I, I wish that message was just coming through more clearly. It it just seems to be really lacking at at all levels. So thank you for mentioning that. Um, if people wanted to find out more and take maybe a deeper dive into what you do and maybe reach out to you to work i assume you guys are still taking patients through are you just doing telemedicine or do you have oh uh, yeah we're, in? we're
2: oh yeah we're open so we are okay patients yeah so, so how um, do
1: people reach you
2: yeah so the uh, the best place to reach me is my website which is advanced naturopathic dot com, and then the place that um, probably I hang out the most in terms of social media would be my Instagram account, which is Doctor Robert. Sorry, Doctor Melina Roberts um, is my is my Instagram handle.
1: Okay, and we'll link to that for the listeners in the show notes if you want to reach out to Dr. Roberts and and see maybe if their services could um, could offer you some help. Um, I want to thank you for taking the time today. To, to chat and hopefully the listeners got some value out of it and maybe could, um, inspire somebody to take a step in the right direction to help maybe them on their healing journey. So I do appreciate you showing up and to the listeners out there, I'm really grateful for your listening and thanks for tuning in and check the show notes for, um, access to dr roberts's book and to check out our website to see uh to to learn more and see what it could do for you thanks again i hope everybody out there has a terrific day well thank you again for tuning in and listening to this episode i hope you enjoyed it and hopefully you found something that was useful for you Uh, i really enjoyed the conversation myself with dr roberts and we'll link in the show notes if you want to connect with her and learn more about the resources they offer Check the uh, video description here, and there'll be all the links you need or to check out her book. Uh, Thanks again for joining, and I hope you're enjoying these episodes. If you have any comments, then please send them in. And if you are enjoying it, please do me a favor and just go to your podcast player and leave a review. I greatly appreciate it. I hope you have a terrific day.